a reading according to Paul's letter to the first Christians in Galatia. Chapter 3, beginning at the 10th verse. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law. Now it is evident that no one is reckoned as righteous before God by the law. For the one who is righteous will live by faith. But the law does not rest on faith. On the contrary, whoever does the work of the law will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be reckoned as righteous by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you were baptised into Christ, as many of you as were baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring is according to the promise. Hear the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Loving God, may the words that flow from my mouth be inspired by your Holy Spirit. May I make sense in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this uh, morning we are beginning a brand new sermon series based on the readings that are set down in our lectionary from Paul's letter first to the Galatians and then we're going to tackle his letter to the Colossians. And that'll take us seven weeks. And we've called this series Kaleidoscope of Grace. Over the past uh, few weeks, we've introduced you to the metaphor of the kaleidoscope in reference to who God is and how the church works together to reveal God to the world and, of course, to each other. The characteristics of God the Father are layered over the characteristics of God the Son who are layered over the characteristics of God the Holy Spirit, revealing the magnificence of God in a kaleidoscope-like effect, which in turn is magnified when the characteristics of my life, which reflect God, are layered over the characteristics of your life, 
which reflect the characteristics of God, which are layered over the character, characteristics of the lives of all believers throughout the world, throughout time, that reflect the character of God, revealing a magnificent kaleidoscope-like expression of the majesty of God, who we know as the one God, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. So what does that have to do with grace, you might ask? Well, grace is the good news of God revealed in Christ Jesus and gifted to believers. Grace is the distinctive of the Christian faith. If I could pick out of all the things that are unique about the Christian faith, what is the one thing that stands apart from all other world religion? That's grace. Grace is amazing. But what is grace? Although it's been defined in many ways, including this acronym that you may have learnt in Sunday school as I did, Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. I have to admit that I'm not sure it's that simple. And I'm not sure that I completely understand what God's riches actually are. And I'm not sure that I completely understand what Christ's expense actually is or implies. I studied what they call atonement theory when I was at theological college, only to walk away thinking that all of these competing views of how we are justified or made one with God, all these atonement theories, they each have great points, but not one of them completely tells the whole story of God's relationship with humanity. Not one of them completely explains grace. Grace is beautifully complex. And I think, as I mentioned last week in our sermon on the Trinity, that when you try and make something simple, which is meant to be complex, you diminish it. So over the next seven weeks, we're hoping to reveal some of that beautiful complexity in a kaleidoscope-like effect. The astute among you, however, will have noticed that the reading that Helen read this morning did not mention grace a single time. So for those who picked that up, extra blessings for you. In actuality, the word grace is only mentioned in one of the readings over the next seven weeks. I think Marianne has that reading, so she gets the lucky one. But it's going to be our joyful challenge to be able to reveal how grace is slowly being revealed in each of these passages. Because we have every confidence and and assurity that grace is present in every word of Scripture because it is the very being of God. At the end of the seven weeks... Will you be able to define or completely understand and explain grace? I doubt it. I actually hope that you can't. What I do pray is that you will be more in awe and you will be more in wonder 
at the magnificence of God and the magnificence of grace. And that you would be more able to exclaim more authentically and model more practically that grace is amazing. Although the word grace doesn't appear in these verses that we heard this morning, Paul's whole letter to the Galatians is more about grace than anything else. Paul usually begins and ends his letters with grace. And this letter is no different. In verses 2 and 3, he says, To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he finishes his letter, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. But this letter is specifically motivated and about grace. Paul writes out of both frustration and passion. Have you ever written out of frustration and passion? These days it normally appears on social media and you have to take that off straight away. But we've got Paul's letter, who I think he might have maybe had a few edits of this before he sent it off to Galatia. We're left with this letter that is passionate, but it's also quite animated and frustrated. And he thinks that there are people within the Galatian churches who have totally missed the point. They've missed the gospel. They've missed the new good news that the gospel is grace. And it's not something else. Specifically, Paul says, the gospel is not the law. He says, I'm astonished that you so quickly are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. If Paul is so adamant that grace is the gospel, then it's probably worth trying to unpack what grace includes, what it doesn't include, what it means and what it might not mean. Not so that we can define or explain it away, but so that we can be more ready to receive it and more ready to express it. Paul has written this animated letter because some Jewish Galatian Christians had been teaching that the most important thing was the law. And a follower's adherence to it. And this was not only contrary to Paul's teaching, it was also contrary to the agreed positions of the apostles when you hear about this amazing get-together called the Jerusalem Council that you can read in Acts chapter 15. Throughout the world and still throughout the world today, Jews were marked by their distinctiveness, particularly their distinctiveness in relationship to the law, and particularly these three things. They kept the Sabbath, Sabbath, they didn't eat certain foods, and circumcision of both male children and male converts. These three distinctives were at the heart of the teaching of these Jewish Galatian Christians. And on one level, 
I kind of understand where they're coming from. It's hard to put what is distinctive about yourself aside. Or or even worse, it's harder to have a new distinctiveness emerge when you're partway through your life. One of the things that I had to wrestle hardest with when I became a minister was changing what I thought was distinctive about myself in the life of the church. I was the church musician who played the guitar, who wrote songs, and who led worship most Sundays. It was my identity, what I was known for, what set me apart, or at least that's what I thought. But my calling to ordain ministry meant that my focus had to change. I couldn't logistically do all the minister stuff and all the music stuff at once all the time. Sometimes I still do it, but not all the time. And I was now finding myself called to empower, to equip, to raise up and to enable others to occupy the space and the distinctiveness where I used to find my identity. And that was hard. I think I still wrestle with it from time to time. I still love leading worship, as I've done over the last couple of weeks. And I love playing and singing. But I hope I now do it in a way that the entirety of my distinctiveness is no longer dependent on me occupying that space week in and week out. But the real issue for these Jewish Galatian Christians in Paul's mind was their distinctiveness and the pursuit of retaining that distinctiveness had now become a massive barrier for non-Jewish Christians. And their insistence on following the law if they wanted to be proper Christians was not only harmful, Paul says it is not the gospel. And he goes even harsher and he suggests that their attitude is like a curse. Now don't misunderstand Paul, he's not saying that God curses them, but it's the curse that you would bring about yourself that's often mentioned in the Old Testament because of your hard-hearted attitudes. Think about this rationally. If you hadn't grown up in a Jewish family, then there's a high likelihood that your gainful employment, which was a big part of your identity back then as it is now, required you to work on the Sabbath, on a Saturday. Some of those new converts would have been slaves. And their masters, some of them, would have not been Jewish. So working on a Saturday was something that they had to do. Having a Sabbath was not an option if you were a slave to a non-Jew. Now, if you had grown up eating bacon, how hard would it be to stop eating bacon? I went to theological college with a vegetarian who ate bacon. 
And then there's that circumcision thing. It's one thing if it's done to you as a child, but as a fully grown adult male who's just heard about this Jesus guy who thinks to themselves, and now I've got to do what to be a proper Christian? You can see how these three things had become an insurmountable barrier to many. What they also did was they were creating a divide. They were saying, as a Jewish Christian, I'm better than you are. I'm a proper Christian, you're not. If only that didn't happen in the church today. Hey? And this is what angers Paul the most. Division. Division is not the gospel. Division is not good news. Division is not grace. Law isn't actually the enemy of grace. It's a gift from God, intended to guide God's people to an abundant life, toward a life where everyone thrives. The problem lay in the fact that if we see in the Gospels the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus addresses and these Jewish Galatian Christians that Paul is addressing, for them, the law had become idolized. And when the law becomes godlike, what happens to God? God becomes diminished. God is less. And when God is diminished, grace is diminished. And grace is less. Paul does not like that, nor should we. The law has an important function and still does. In one of the verses that we skipped over this morning, Paul says it points out transgressions. He also says that the law is not opposed to God's promises. Rather, the law is a guide toward the kind of abundant life that God wants for us. But the law, as Paul says in verse 24, was to be the servant of grace. And I love the way that Bishop Tom Wright puts it in his translation of this passage. He says, Thus the law was like a babysitter for us, looking after us until the coming of the Messiah, so that we might be given covenant membership on the basis of faithfulness. And that is all that is required of us. Faith in Jesus. Paul and Silas say to their jailer in Acts chapter 16, when he asks, what must I do to be saved? They say, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Skip down to one verse. It doesn't have to be perfect faith either. And that's grace. That our imperfect faith, which is strong sometimes, and drifts from doubt to unbelief, 
and back to doubt, back to faith again. That's enough. And that's grace. And that's amazing. Well, it's part of grace. Law still has a very important role to play in our lives as a revealer of our sin and our brokenness, and particularly when it comes to how we might relate and impact others. At the heart of the law was God's covenant with Abraham, that God would be Abraham's God and Abraham and Abraham's descendants would be God's people. It is a law of relationship. That's what the covenant was. And the one thing that the law can and should never do is divide others. Divide them from God or enable others to harm or exclude another. So if there's one thing that we can learn about grace from our first dip into this letter to the Galatians is that grace is not legalistic. It can't be quarantined or confined. No one is more or less deserving of grace. I hate to break it to you, just because you're sitting here this morning or watching online or watching it back through the week, you are not more deserving of grace than somebody who's not in church at all this week. There are no sins that we can commit that exclude us from grace, which is really hard for us as humans to reconcile because some pretty bad stuff happens and people do some very terrible things, but God will continue to pour out grace upon grace upon grace. It's not our decision about who gets grace. It's God's. Paul is calling out the structures of society that in their own ways have become wonderful excuses for us to to divide ourselves from each other. And Paul says that this is not gospel. This is not good news. This is not grace. Grace is the barriers that society would like us to live by being brought down because we have a new identity. We belong to Christ. As Paul says, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. I thank God for Paul's frustrated and passionate words. Because these words were spoken to these Galatians, hope exists. Because these words were spoken to these Galatians, barriers are starting to break down taking us 2,000 years, and it'll probably take us a few more. But because these words were spoken to the Galatians, we have a challenge to live differently.
These are the seeds of dismantling all that divides us, whether it be gender, culture, ethnicity, class, education, literally anything. Once this has been dismantled, we will be more able to clearly see the kaleidoscope of grace that is revealed, to experience it, to to receive it, and then to express it. It doesn't mean that anything goes, and that's why the law still has a place, reminding us that we have to be grace for others, to live well with others and not to bring anyone down or exclude them, to show the grace of God. Grace is the Christian distinctive. And as people living under grace, the one thing that should be distinctive about us is the absence of division. Do we see an absence of division in our church today? Perhaps we might still have a little bit more to learn about grace. Loving God, you pour out grace upon grace upon grace upon us. Yet time and time again, we try and convince ourselves that we are better than others and more deserving. We create divisions that you do not want to see. Help us to actively work to bring down the barriers that divide to lift up others who are downtrodden, that are excluded, that have at times been removed from your grace by the actions of closed-minded, hard-hearted people who call themselves Christians. Let us not be one of those. And when we are, help us to quickly repent that we might be bearers of that grace upon grace upon grace being poured out and slowly but surely that we might be able to see and experience those divisions and barriers being removed. Help us to be agitators who remove division. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Let's stand together as...